0: Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined as always by...
1: This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. and Big Kurt on Twitter, B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. As you
0: might have already noticed for the savvy Eyes on Big listeners, the uh, audio is a little bit different right now. We are recording remotely. Why would we record remotely well only for a special reason and a special person that special person tonight is the managing editor of the Saturday Tradition website Dustin Shooty, thank you so much for coming on how you doing sir
2: hey I'm doing great Jeff and Kurt and uh I'm gonna have you be my like own personal hype man to follow me around the house because that's an (laughs) excellent intro and I, I just can't get enough of it so thanks for having me on how are you guys
1: Let's get ready to podcast! Well, I have a bourbon in hand, so I am well. Thank you for asking. I got a beer. I got a beer.
2: I got a nice water with lemon going here.
0: Always nice. Always <laughs> nice. Um, all right, so we are part of the other fun part of this podcast, and why we have Dustin on, is we are going to do the 2020. Eyes on Big Pod Awards show, so we're going to get to that in just a little bit. Um, But our one kind of housekeeping item, maybe just more of a talking point that we're going to go through before we even get into the awards, is, uh, well, I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, two years ago, three years ago, I guess it was? I can't it was was two or three. Two, yeah. Uh, The Big Ten's own Greg Sciano was violently passed over for the Tennessee head coaching job. Pitchfork Nation came out, AKA Vols Nation came out and refused to let Greg Shano in. So that has worked out well, I would think for, for most Rutgers fans, if you pulled them and it's not working out so good for Tennessee. It is a full meltdown. It's Chernobyl level meltdown. Um, Anyways, Dustin, I'll start with you. Takes on this. You're you're closer to the you're closer to the action where you're at. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm closer to the a- action, but fortunately I'm not so close where I get that Tennessee, you know, kind of attitude where I live. So I'm fortunate in that regard. But you know, I just go back to that whole situation and how I remember it just being completely like faux outrage that how dare somebody like Greg Shiano think he can coach in that mighty SEC. And we discover that, you know, in year one of Greg Shiano being at uh, Rutgers, he's three and six and Jeremy Pruitt's third year at Tennessee, he's three and seven. And he had to cheat to be at three and seven, (laughs) pretty massively cheating Um, dollar bills, dollar bills in McDonald's bags and hundred dollar bills in McDonald's bags. So like, it's just, it's, it's so fitting because of, the reaction that Tennessee had, their fans had to overthrow uh, the Greg Shiano hire, uh, this is fit in, a fitting end for them because their program may be barred from any bowl games for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, one. I wanted to add to one thing. You said that that it was there was full outrage about Chiano and the whole connection to the Penn State thing. Meanwhile, now they all want the fans want Hugh Freeze to be their head coach. Yes. So I mean, if if anything proves the faux outrage, there it is right there.
0: That is insane. Right when you think Tennessee fans can't dig any deeper, they they find a bigger
1: shovel. Um, yeah, yeah. So Pruitt was there three years, and for me personally, I just I feel like Tennessee fans deserve it. And then I, it also makes me feel good knowing there's a bigger dumpster fire out there than Illinois. Oh, by far, that's, that to me
0: seems like two programs going in the opposite direction. Um, you know, for me, I had put on Twitter that, you know, maybe they don't get the death penalty, but maybe we make something up like a coma penalty where they're just basically frozen for a couple years. But effectively, I think that's what it's going to be. Dustin, you already said they'll probably do some sort of postseason ban. I mean, I got to think that's in play. But then, I mean, you want to talk about unintended consequences of the transfer portal, excuse me, the TP being so loosey-goosey. That that is what is essentially coma penalty for Tennessee right now. I don't know what type of team – that they're going to be able to field next year with how many, just a, a insane amount of people that have been in the TP out of Tennessee.
1: And it's not just the TP. It's recruits that are decommitting and, and asking out of their letters of intent. So, yeah, their their roster's screwed. Here's the good news for Tennessee. They just hired Danny White, the Central Florida Athletic Director, today. So they can at any moment just declare themselves national
2: champions. <laughs> And it'll it'll end a uh, pretty big drought of the national champ. They think their national championship caliber every single year, anyway. So you know, my, why why not? He's like the perfect AD for them, by the way. But you know, I I chimed in on that tweet that you had, Greek, and it's like I almost think to put Tennessee in a coma or a or give them the death penalty would be like if this is for your own good, because they nothing good has come out of that program in like 20 years, 25 years. Um, so they, it's almost like they need to hit the reset button and just be like, you know what, go outside, take five minutes, have a cigarette break, take this season off and we'll come back and we'll try to run this thing through the mill again.
0: I mean, I think that's what it's going to look like next year and probably the year after that as well. Um, you know, I, I just never saw anything like what we're hearing out of Tennessee when I was at Iowa, but I'm not naive to think that. There aren't things going on, right? As far as cash and the bag man, all the stuff you hear. But my thought process was whenever that happened, it was a booster so that any coach on you know the staff could have plausible deniability. Color me surprised when I heard that they they literally are giving bags of cash. The that is audacity that you guys would have to help me out. You're more historians than I am. I just, I don't.
1: You'd have to go back to the SMU days to find. I was just like thinking SMU. That's the one that comes to mind for me. To be that brash.
2: I mean, literally, they had the Hamburglar handing over wads of cash to these people in a McDonald's restaurant. Like it's just, it's, it's so crazy. Like, it's the craziest thing. But at the same time, it's not surprising knowing it's Tennessee.
0: Well, no. Yeah, if, if if somebody would have told me three days ago, a week ago, whatever, hey, some program in the country is going to get caught giving cash through McDonald's bags, who do you think it's going to be? I, I don't think there's any question I would have said Tennessee. Well,
1: if you look at their most recent recruiting, there was just a sudden jump in recruiting where they were getting five and four stars like crazy and beating Alabama and LSU and Georgia out for recruits. I, you, you had to think that something was going on. I'm sorry, I hate to say that, but it's not like Pruitt was doing that his first couple years. It only happened this last year. There was like a clear mark of demarcation.
2: And, and I feel like I remember this thing kind of happening when Hugh Reeves was at Old Miss too. They're, they're recruiting suddenly as soon as he took over, got a big boost, and they were beating out some of these high-level SEC programs for big name recruits and you kind of found out why at the end of his run why they were getting those recruits. So it's not to say that guys can't come in and, and, and improve the recruiting, but to see get you know five or six four or five star high level guys that are passing on teams like Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, there's there might be smoke or there might be some fire where that smoke's coming out.
1: Yeah, and I agree. That's why I say I hate to say it, because yes, you can Just have a guy that does a fantastic job recruiting compared to previous staff. But when it happens after you've been at Tennessee for two years and you've been recruiting well, but then suddenly you're recruiting like an elite program, that raises a flag for me.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, we've seen that for two straight years where, I mean, there was a a jump up in recruiting out of Tennessee, like high amount right away. When we talk about um things that we could do you know to make college football better to make it the the playing field a little more even if you will how about the NCA does its job and when they see teams jump up in recruiting rankings maybe you look into one of those teams a little bit quicker and just see what's going on
1: how about that well yeah but we like you said you're not naive so this happens to some extent everywhere, we think, right? So then you're just going to start penalizing guys for doing well, maybe, when they're not cheating any more than they have been in the past. Maybe that's too cynical. Sorry, everyone.
2: <laughs> well, I think the interesting thing to me is we, we talk about Tennessee and how how their recruiting has, has gone. But look at what – I'm going to put this the, the attention here back on – Rutgers a little bit and what Greg, he didn't do anything magical in his first season. And this his his recruiting improved. He was able to get in-state talent and he was able to raid the transfer portal and get guys like that. Like To me, it's that is not nearly, there's no red flags, I should say, when that kind of stuff happens because guys are coming closer to home. He has relationships with some of those guys that were at Ohio State that are now at Rutgers, whereas opposed to Jeremy Pruitt, and all of a sudden you have a program that has been really bad for 25 seasons and like we said you know they're getting they're finishing in the top five or ten in the recruiting rankings right is still in the top like 50 so it's not like this huge increase and and that's why I think um and it just goes to show that like Greg Shiano is a much better coach and even a better recruiter than Jeremy Pruitt hoped to be yeah I agree but here's the one
1: thing I wonder about Shiano's not a southern guy would it have been a thing where he just wasn't a fit no matter what well, yeah, I, I always okay. picture I always
0: picture northern coaches coming into the SEC and just behind their back, all the, you know, SEC uh, guys that have been there. They just know they don't know the secret handshakes and the little nods, but like they just don't know that stuff. But look at
1: look at Bert, Brett Bielema down in Arkansas had, you know, his had his one his first season that obviously didn't go well. Three really good seasons, one bad. You're out of here, buddy.
2: Joe Moorhead at Mississippi state. And that was kind of the same deal. He never really fit in there. And I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think it has anything to do with, can they be successful at that program? I think Greg Shiano could be successful at a place like Tennessee, but the problem is, is when you're not a Southern guy, when you, when you don't come from that, have that that kind of background, they are much quicker to say, we need to fire this head coach. We need to get rid of this guy. He doesn't know us. He doesn't understand what it means down here. Um, When When you have some reason, you get a little more leeway.
0: Well, as we all know, it just means more, especially if you're in the drive-thru waiting for a Happy Meal. All right. There's your segue right there. So let's go ahead and go on to the Eyes on Big Pod Award show. Uh, So what we're going to do is uh, we are going to have – I will announce or I will say – what the award is. Uh, We'll start with Kurt. That's more natural, like how we usually do the pod. Dustin, you go, then I'll do mine last for each one. Obviously, if we have the same player for each one, that's our winner. If we have two of the three agree, that's the winner. If we have a a three-way tie, I got the magical dice here. Uh, We'll do, uh, Kurt, you get numbers one and two, DS, you get three and four, and I get five and six, and that's how we will award the winner. How's that sound? Sounds good, man. About as judicial as you get these days, right? All right, so first up, we have got the big player of the year, Justin
1: Fields' division. (laughs) Kurt, who you got? (laughs) Yeah, I I almost picked Dwayne Haskins, but I went with Justin Fields. Um, obviously, we could talk all day about Justin Fields, um, great player. He had a couple games that he didn't look quite as good, but you know, he mostly through his career has stayed clean. He IU got after him, Northwestern got after him, um, but then he showed he showed who he was in that. A national championship game i thought he stood in there under a lot of pressure and played about as well as he could considering the conditions um he's a consummate pro i think he's in the conversation for the most lethal quarterback in big 10 history justin fields is the answer for me
2: yeah and uh you know had some other players in mind here but i went with justin fields and i'm going to apologize because i have a little lengthy list here as to why because I got frustrated when I heard people say that Justin Fields, even though he didn't play great against Indiana, Northwestern wasn't having as good of a season as he did last year. This year he had 262.5 passing yards per game. That was an improvement by 30 yards from last season. He averaged 47.9 rushing yards per game. That was an improvement by 13 yards. He threw 70. He completed 70.2% of his passes. That was up from 3% last season. Every time he averaged 8.1 yards per play, so every time Justin Fields threw a football pass, ran the football, he averaged 8.1 yards per play. That was up by half a yard from last season. His only number that was down was touchdowns from 3.6 to 3.4, and obviously he had six interceptions, and uh, last year he only had three interceptions. So Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, who say he might be better off by playing another season at Ohio State, he was better this year than he was last year. The defenses at Indiana and Northwestern might have been a little bit better than what you're giving him credit. And so that's why Justin Fields is my Big Ten Player of the Year, and I'm tired of people saying that maybe he should stick around Ohio State for another season because he was better this year than he was a season ago. All right? I'm a, I apologize for that rant, but that's my answer. I feel like we should be running out of a
0: out of a tunnel right now after that speech. That's, that is, and, and, Dustin, the thing is, is throughout the year when they kept saying that, I, I kept trying to think to myself, I should look up the stats and do a comparison because I don't feel like there's been that big of a drop-off. So, dude, you just killed it right there. And what I would add is, you know, not only did Indiana have a dang good defense this year, and obviously Northwestern does almost every year this year being no exception, because of, you know, all of the Rona, you know, red tape that that every team had to fight through, especially Ohio State, Alave... Like, I can't believe how little attention Olave being out of some of those big games did not receive in national attention. You're you're trying to tell me if you took Devonta Freeman away from the Alabama offense, there would be no difference in Mac Jones play. Give me a break. I mean, that was a huge part of the deal. And even with that being said, he, he still was incredible. I feel like I've waxed poetic as much as I could about Justin Fields on this podcast. Uh, On the field, off the field character. I I absolutely love the dude. I hope he has all kinds of success in the next level. So the big player of the year, Justin
1: Fields' division is... Justin Fields. All right, we move on. To add a couple things to that, Um, if we are running onto the field, I think after that rant, PJ Fleck needs to be leading us. (laughs) But I also want to add that uh, you know, J- Dustin, you did a great job <laughs> breaking that down. Let's not forget, Northwestern was the number one pass defense in the country. So, and, and uh, Indiana, yeah, he threw a few interceptions, but he also, he also had a lot of,
2: made, did a lot of damage through the year against that great defense. And Indiana led the country, I think they led the country definitely in picks per game, but I don't know if it was overall interceptions. They were averaging like three a game. So, correct. Like, and so I just don't understand any of that. And, by the way, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on this again. Through three games, he had as many incompletions as he had touchdown passes. That's And true. then in the, the biggest game of the season, the Sugar Bowl, that first game of the college football playoff, he had six touchdown passes, six incompletions, and he played with broken freaking ribs. Like, I would still be on that. Yeah.
1: I still think New that New
2: was – right, right um he
0: played through it yeah you kind of cut out there but yeah i mean i think you were talking about how he played through it and that's you know i understand justin or or, uh, trevor lawrence will probably be the number one pick but i still to this day just don't think it's this obvious who's number one and who's number two that it's made out to be um you know, I think it should be closer to a Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. Bad example, because I don't think either one of these quarterbacks are going to flame out like Ryan Leaf. But you know what I mean? I, I just feel like it should be more of a comparison. This dude was a five-star quarterback,
1: too. You know, like I – anyways. I would say Clemson was the best game he ever played in his career yeah, yeah. against yeah, that yeah. against another amazing defense.
0: All right. Uh, we will move on. I'm pretty excited for this one. I. I got some ideas. So I can't wait for you guys to uh, give your answers. So the big player of the year, non-Justin Fields division. Kurt, you go first.
1: Okay, let's see if I can do this. His name is Mo Ibrahim. 201 carries for 1,076 yards in seven games, mind you, and 15 touchdowns. The guy's a bowling ball. He's about five foot two. Okay, maybe he's a little taller than that. But he just steamrolls over people. Uh he was he was the lifeblood of the Gophers this year for me. Also five point four yard average. For me, Mo Ibrahim is the non-Justin Fields Big Ten player
2: of the year. Yeah, I agree with Kurt. I also had Mo Ibrahim for all the the reasons he just mentioned. And I mean you know, you got to a point in the season where defenses expected him to run the ball 20 to 25 or more times per game, and they still couldn't stop him. Uh, he was just he was incredibly fun to watch. And the fact that he's coming back next season and a chance to see him play 12 or 13 games, uh, I'm, i am he could easily hit 2000 yards next season.
0: Yeah, I kind of figured I, I remember um, Dustin had gone off. He had he had also wax poetic about Mo Ibrahim pretty much all year long. So I was pretty confident that, that DS would go with Mo not surprised. Kurt did that's my pick as well. I mean, what I think about is when you look at his stats, he could have had the same stats in a 12 game season. And he still might've been the the first team, big 10 running back, you know, or, or running back of the year, his stats were that good in a, you know, extremely shortened uh, season. And another thing too is, you know, I wouldn't exactly call the the um, uh, supporting cast around him elite, to use a PJ uh, term. It just it was a step back from last year. You know, Tanner Morgan looked a little off. Obviously, they they lost a you know huge receiver in Tyler Johnson the NFL. Um, uh, their their best receivers, you know, Agent Zero's in and out of the lineup. The old line was shuffling. All of that stuff was going on. Mo Ibrahim just mowed through people like it didn't really make that much of a difference. Well, um, so yeah, I, I, I'm very impressed by Mo, and he deserves all the accolades that came his way this year. I don't
1: think you're you're I think you're underselling it by saying the O line was shuffled. I mean, Kurt, Curtis Dunlap out for the year, uh, Philele out for the year. Towards the middle of the season, their OL got all rode up, and they were playing freshmen and I think even a walk on at one point, and it just didn't seem to matter. You give Moe the rock, and he's going to get his yards, and he's going to get his touchdowns. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Diaz.
2: And, and uh, you know, the thing was, it's almost like overnight, Minnesota had to change its identity. It went from this pass-heavy offense, and, and a, you know a guy like Tanner Morgan, who was considered a Heisman Trophy candidate, and all of a sudden – Mo I- Ibrahim is the guy, uh, and that's not an easy thing to do to take on that much of a, a workload after you were a pass-heavy offense a season ago. So, you know, not only did he take over in the fact that he was the the best offensive player on that team, but he was he proved to be like a you know the team leader from that standpoint. So I was I was really impressed with what he did all season long. And to add to that, wasn't
1: there a game? I believe there's a game he had like thirty, I don't know, one thirty-five carries, and he was the only running back to touch the ball in the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, talk so, about putting a team on your shoulders. Put a team on his shoulders, showing more
0: skills this year, doing it with less around him, and the A-hole still decided to come back for another year in the Big Ten <laughs> the, the, the big player of the year, non-Justin Field division, Mo Ibrahim. All right, moving on. Next award, the big leader of men, you could say a true legend, the coach of the year
1: in the big conference. Big Kurt, who you got? Well, this one's obvious. I'm sure we're all going to agree on this. It's definitely Pat Fitzgerald. Prove me wrong. I love that he finally got rid of Mick McCall, made a great hire in, in Mike Bajakian. They went um, from dead last in, in offense to ninth in total offense, had much more imagination, ran a little tempo here and there. Um, of course, As always, they had a great defense, number one in past defenses, as I had mentioned. They went from three and nine last year and just a putrid, awful team that was painful to watch. I mean, it really hurt watching them play or at least try to play the game of football. They added one player, a quarterback in Peyton Ramsey, and they go to Big West champs again after just one down year. I'm sorry, this one's not close. Pat Fitzgerald is the coach of the year in the Big Ten.
2: And we're in agreeance a lot tonight because I went for the longest time I would have answered Tom Allen, but I can't, I can't justify Tom Allen considering how Indiana played in that bowl game um, for, for Northwestern to play Ohio state as well as they did. And then to go out and beat Auburn uh, in the citrus bowl. I was really impressed with that. And remember, this is a, Northwestern team that lost Sam Dutt-Miller didn't have Travis Willick didn't have Rashawn Slater and they still had the best scoring defense in the Big Ten they still go from they have a new OC they have a brand new quarterback and they still go from three and nine to seven and two and and legitimately had a chance to beat Ohio State in that game in the Big Ten championship Um, Pat Fitzgerald did not get enough credit I don't think this year I think he was overshadowed by Tom Allen but I think Kurt's right I think Uh, fitzy that he waved that fitzy wand that you guys talk about so much and and got Northwestern uh, back on track he pulled it out of his arse it was stuck (laughs) in his arse wow all right so
0: this is crazy um now just I want to take a step back just for a second I'm not going to talk in depth about all these coaches but it is my personal opinion that you could make at least a plausible argument for one two three four five coaches to get this award. Okay. First, first off the quaff Ryan day, all he did was go undefeated in his second year coaching dog walk Clemson in a, in a, in a set, you know, in a college play, play uh, playoff game and, you know, lose to obviously Alabama. And he's not even getting mentioned on this. Like, and I know it's the Ohio state, uh, you know, head coach curse, but my gosh, let's at least bring, bring Ryan day up. Yeah, next up, I'm going to say it, Kirk Ferentz. I mean, not only do you have the off-season strife, you know, however you want to say it, you start out 0-2. I read so many articles putting throwing dirt on the Iowa football program, and especially Kirk Ferentz. What do they do? They rip off six wins to end the year, arguably the second or third best team in the Big Ten by the end of the year and he's got Iowa right back where you would expect Iowa to be. Okay, next up. Remember when Greg Schiano was a dead lock for Big 10 coach of the year through the first 3 4 weeks of the year? What an incredible job Schiano did. I know we already talked about him before. They look I mean, I cannot believe how much better Rutgers looks compared to last year. It's got to be one of the more embarrassing things for the former coaching staff to deal with, but it's just fact Tom Allen. We, he was dead on coach of the year for the second half of the season. And I I thought for sure I was going to be the one that was going to be the oddball in this, but we are three for three again. I have Pat Fitzgerald as the big coach of the year. I mean, Kurt, you already nailed it. I mean, you both did listen off the reasons, it was just incredible. He made that, you know, announcement or proclamation, however you want to call it, last on the offseason when he said, We will not look like that again. I promise you we will do better. Ha ha ha. Yeah, it's Coach Speak, right? No, that was Fitzgerald being Fitzgerald. And Kurt and I being the doornails that we are, we picked them both last in the division, which just cosmically adds more fuel to the friggin' fire for. Fitzy, and he pulled it off and did it again so yeah
1: it's Doesn't incredible that say something that the national media never even considered Fitzgerald as coach of the year he didn't even get mentioned like he his name was it was either basically Ryan Day or Tom Allen pretty much and then three guys all of us that watch every single Big Ten team all chose the same guy Pat Fitzgerald
2: yeah, I mean, you know, that's just, that's that's how it works. If you don't have a uh, if you're not constantly on national television and you're not going to get the uh, recognition. I think we've all learned that like some of these guys only watch the, the big name the big name teams or the big name programs um and you know we're we're dedicated to watching every Big 10 game every week and, and that's why I think we are agreeing so much tonight. Yep. So
0: the big leader of men, a true legend, the coach of the year, Pat Fitzgerald. All right, next up, not quite so uh, kitschy, just kind of straightforward, defender
1: of the year, Big Kurt, who you got? This was a really tough one for me to decide. There was a lot of good options here. I think maybe by the end of the year, Haskell Garrett might have been the best defender, but he didn't have it from start to finish. I love me some Alakunle Farakasi from Rutgers. He led the conference in tackles. He uh, led in tackles per game. He had 11 tackles for loss and two sacks all over the field. Mike McFadden, Brandon Joseph, the Northwestern freshman, but I really just have to go with Davion Nixon, the defensive tackle from Iowa. Um, played eight games, 13 tackles for loss, which was number one in the conference, five and a half sacks, which was number two in the conference. For an interior guy, that doesn't happen too often. He changed games. He he disrupted the offense. He got in the backfield. And everyone loves a fat guy touchdown. He had easily the best fat guy touchdown we've seen in, in a number of years, for sure. So for me, Davian Nixon, Iowa.
2: Well, much like uh, Greek went. Uh, and mentioned a lot of different names for the Big Ten Coach of the Year. I'm going to mention a lot of names for Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. A lot of them are from either Indiana or Northwestern. I had Micah McFadden down, Tywan Mullen, uh, Jamar Johnson, Jalen Williams, Patty Fisher, Chris Bergen, um, Blake Gallagher, and Brandon Joseph. But I went with Davion Nixon uh, because I eventually – I had to ask myself this question. If I'm building my own Big Ten fantasy defense, who's the one player I'm going to start with? And I just come, kept coming back to Davion Nixon because I think he's such a game changer um, that I think he trumps everybody else. And I, don't, I know a lot of those guys put up some big numbers and some great stats, uh, but Nixon, you just watch him play. And you just, when you see it, you know, and that's what I felt like when I watched him. You, You just knew you were watching greatness when he was on the field.
0: Yeah, and I think the reason you both were able to list off so many good defenders in the Big Ten is because the Big Ten – has a lot of good defenses this year, just like they do almost every year. You know, and I, I don't think I'm a Homer when I also say, yeah, I mean, it was Davion Nixon. Um, Iowa fans saw him flashing uh, last year, especially towards the end of the year. You always get your hopes up as a fan base, but I didn't have my hopes up even that high. I don't know how many Iowa fans did for what he wound up doing this year so quick off the ball. I think he could play both straight four three, defensive tackle, rush defensive end in a three four, three four no I mean, I think he could play all those positions at the next level. We'll see how he does in the combine because that would help him out big time. I mean, Kurt talked about, you know, leading the end or the Big Ten in tackles for losses right up there with sacks. And he also led the Big Ten in Euro steps. Which is what he did on the crossover with the football when he scored the big fat man touchdown. Definitely one of the more fun plays of the year. So yeah, I think we are unanimous again, folks. I swear we don't. We we did not show notes before the show. But defender of the year is Iowa's Davion Nixon. All right, now I can guarantee you we are going to be a little. We're, we're not going to have the same one for this next one. In fact, I'm going to call it, I'm going to say we're each going to have three. We're going to have a different answer for us three. Next it next up is the dude of the year. So maybe not the MVP, but he is the man for his team. Maybe the man for the big 10, big Kurt. Who do you got?
1: Okay. I don't think this will surprise either. The two of you, I got the dude amongst dudes, Ty Fryfogle wide receiver for Indiana. This guy is the only Big Ten wide receiver ever to post back-to-back 200-yard receiving games. Okay, he only had 37 receptions, but for 721 yards, that's a 19.5 average with seven touchdowns. This guy can go up and high-point the ball. He is unbelievable at positioning his body between the ball and the defender and catching it. For me, Ty Freifogel wide receiver the Indiana Hoosiers
2: we are somewhat on the same wavelength I'm just a little bit farther north I'm going with Iowa killer and Purdue wide receiver David Bell uh, because they would throw that ball force feed him the football reluctantly and or uh, just at will I should say and he still came up every game here here's his catch totals for every game thirteen nine nine eight four. 10 he hit 100 yards receiving in all but two games this season and I don't think he looked nearly as I mean we talked about how Jeff Brom is trying to force feed Rondale Moore the football and yet still David Bell when Rondale Moore was playing had eight catches four catches and 10 catches Um, so that's just a guy he's like he to me he was the most reliable receiver in the Big Ten this season Uh, I don't think he's quite as talented or as explosive as a guy like Chris Olave but if you need a guy, he reminds me very much of Tyler Johnson. You need a guy to make a catch. You can throw it his direction, and he's going to come down with it. So he is my dude of the year. I'm going with David Bell from Purdue. Uh, so we've got two in-state uh, guys there.
0: Yeah, as you might imagine, around my house it is a, a Hawkeye house, and I got little kids. Uh, but when I tuck, you know, my five-year-old. In bed, where he's not afraid of the boogeyman, he's afraid of the bellman jumping out of the uh, closet because he's so friggin' scary to us Hawkeye fans. All right, so I went even a little bit deeper cut here. For my dude of the year, <laughs> I went with Micah Parsons. Why? Because he is a dude, and I pretty much think the Penn State team, I mean, <laughs> Defense for part of the year fell apart when Micah Parsons decided to sit out the 2020 season right there. I mean, the best way to show how how important a team uh, guy is to a team is when he's not playing with the team and the team doesn't do well. And we also saw just how destructive that guy was. I mean, all of his career, but it seemed like he got a little bit better each game last year. By the time he got to the bowl game, he was an absolute man among boys. He's going to be the first defender taken definitely in the Big Ten, probably of any uh, uh, defensive player in the country in in this draft coming up. I think he's a chance to go top five or six in the draft. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Micah Parsons. So... And so, so I'm I'm real curious, take from either one of you on that pick?
2: I think that's a great pick when you talk about a guy who has maybe the, the biggest impact as to why their team wasn't successful this season. And you watch that very first game against Indiana, and there it was visible that they were missing him, not just from a talent standpoint, but from a vocal, just needing, they, they just like... It's a perfect description. They just needed a dude on defense, and they didn't have that until they got to about week five or week six of the season and started winning some games. So I, I completely understand where you're going with that, um, and I wish I would have thought outside the box because I, I would have probably agreed with you on that take. All
0: right, but as predicted, we had a three-way tie, so I will use the magic dice. So one-two is tie, three-four Is David Bell, 5'6", is Micah Parsons, and it is Ty Freifogel. Big Kurtz guy wins. I think that's a great pick as well. So, dude of the year, Indiana wide receiver, Ty Freifogel. All right, next up, the special guy of the year. Could be a specialist, could be whatever. We wanted to throw out a specialty
1: Uh, award for for our guys out there. Big Kurt, who you got? Yeah, my initial thought was to go specialist. You know, so of course, we love our punting on the Eyes on Big podcast. And I was looking down the punting and my goodness, there are seven absolutely outstanding punters in this league. So I didn't want to pick a punter. I looked at Charlie Jones from Iowa, the returner, 21 returns for 221 yards. He was electric. And it got me thinking about how Pathetic Illinois was as a team, Illinois had four returns on the season for 32 yards. That just shows you how good Charlie Jones was. But then I decided, you know what? I'm not going with a specialist. I'm going with a special guy. My special guy is Jake Funk, the running back from Maryland. This guy only played in four out of their five games. He only toted the ball 16, or I'm sorry, 60 times for 516 yards, three touchdowns, but he had an eight touchdown. Point six yard average, 129 yards rushing per game was second in the conference, only to Muhammad Ibrahim. This guy, he's from Damascus, Maryland, so he's a hometown guy. Most out of high school, most programs wanted this guy as a safety or maybe even a linebacker. I'm going to list off the, the programs that really wanted this guy Air Force Academy, Army, Bucknell, Charlotte, Harvard, Navy, Ohio. Old Dominion, Penn, Towson, Yale, he had ACL injuries in the last two years, didn't play much the years before that. I I really didn't think, I I pretty much thought this guy's career was over, and then he just breaks out and has this amazing season. So Jake Funk, you are my special guy for this season.
2: That is a really good pick, and I kind of had the same line of thinking as you. Initially, I was going to look at a specialist, um, but i I essentially decided to go with a guy who I thought was probably the most special player and and helped turn around an entire team. And that was Northwestern quarterback Peyton Ramsey, who lost his starting job at Indiana last season, stuck around, still got the opportunity to start and help them get to a bowl game at the end of last season. He decides to transfer because he knows he's not going to get the starting job at Indiana behind Michael Penix. He goes to Northwestern. A team that had no quarterback play, we talked about how they have had really no weapons offensively coming back. They lost their best offensive lineman. They were searching for wide receivers, and yet Peyton Ramsey steps in, and it's it's not like they had an Ohio State caliber offense, but they had the offense finally. Peyton Ramsey was able to move the ball, get him in the end zone, move the sticks, and they were able to win plenty of games this season um, and get to the Big Ten championship game. So, Uh, I know his stats weren't great. I know he made a lot of really uh, crazy and boneheaded kind of plays throughout the season. But you talk about a guy who just completely transformed an offense um, from the uh, receptacle it was last season. I go with Peyton Ramsey for this one.
0: Both good picks. Um, Kurt, I mean, let's go ahead and say you're a pretty special guy if you're a starting running back in the Big Ten and you're Caucasian. I, I think that also adds to your specialness. for it's a, yeah, it's, I, it's, a, it's
1: a rare situation. Thanks for mentioning that. I didn't even think about it. You're right. Way to go,
0: Jay uh, Funk. Um. So I did take the bait. I took the bait on specialist, all right? I mean, we got a guy out there that was very impressive on special teams. He was new to his team this year. He had to travel all over the place in order to get to his team this year and make a splash. I am, of course, going with Rutgers return man Aaron Crookshank. Huh? I deeped you guys wow. there a little bit, didn't I? So a quick shout, a quick shout out, a quick shout out to Tori Taylor, Iowa's punter. But he's got a long career ahead of him. Hopefully, we can get back to him some other time. But yeah, I decided to go there. And Crookshank, you know, was with Wisconsin last year. He was a great return man for Wisconsin last year. So you say, you know, Wisconsin's solid team. You know, they're setting the guy up for big returns because they're good at special teams. But he's going to go to Rutgers and just fall off the map, right? No, he was as electric, if not more, in the return game. Two touchdowns this year in the return game. I thought Aaron Cruikshank was was very fun to watch every time he dropped back. So that is my pick. So after a string of us agreeing and we've had our second one in a row uh that uh we are uh, have to do a little dice trick we're gonna go and it's wow you're hot tonight big kurt jake funk gets the special guy of the year award the dicer you might have to go to the you might have to go to the casino tonight man the dice are hot for you tonight let me just
1: roll for illinois wins next year <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can try we can try All right, moving on. We just got three more to go. Uh, Next up is the most exciting guy of the year. Could be offense. Could be defense. Special teams. Whatever. Doesn't even have to be a player. Could be whatever you
1: want. Big Kurt, who you got? Okay, this one took me a little while. I had to really search, but the more I looked, the more I liked this one player. This one player is Jahan Dotson from Penn State, the wide receiver. In nine games, he had 884 receiving yards, which was first in the conference, 17-yard average per catch, eight touchdowns. He had three touchdowns versus, who is this? Ohio State, the Ohio State Buckeyes. He scored three times against them, including, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that beautiful one-hander on the sideline that he hauled in. He had an 81-yard punt return versus Michigan State. He also had 100 yards receiving in that game. He had two 70-plus-yard touchdowns in one game versus Illinois. That's the first time that's ever happened in Penn State history. Jahan Dotson, you were the most exciting player for me, for Big Kurt, on this 2020 season.
2: I'm going with a little off-the-wall kind of pick for this one. I, I'm Hopefully you guys see where I'm going here with this in the fact that I, I picked Iowa wide receiver Amir Smith-Marset. And I know he didn't put up the best numbers this season. But anytime that guy touches the ball, you think he has the potential to go to the end zone. And that's in the return game. That's in the run game. That's in the, uh, in the receiving game. Like he's just such a dynamic player. And I know he made a really bad decision by, you know, doing that back flip or front flip or whatever it was into the end zone, the final game of the season and injured himself. Uh, But I thought that in terms of like, who do you not want to see get the football there are a lot of coaches that don't want to see Amir Smith-Marset get the ball, and I thought Iowa did a nice job of trying to get him the ball in, in, in just about every aspects. I went with an off wall pick here just because I thought that he is one of the more undervalued guys, but he's so explosive and he can do so much with the ball in his hands that I went with an off-the-wall Iowa guy for this one.
0: That is a fantastic pick, not just because he's an Iowa receiver, just because, you know, you are you are bringing everything to the table. He was exciting for Iowa fans, too, exciting, you know, where he had us, you know, shitting bricks, too, for a lot of times for things that he did. So, all right, so, again, we were going a different answer. It's not how you start. It's how you finish for this guy. Ohio State running back Trey Sermon. Yeah, I know I'm only going off of – you know, pretty much at the end of the year, but how about when you have the biggest games in the year in the Big Ten championship, set an Ohio State record, 331 yards rushing in that game, and then you followed up by the, going to the first round of the college football playoff. Nobody's given Ohio State a chance. Nobody's going to move the ball on this amazing Clemson front seven. And what happens? He rips off 193 yards rushing, 61 yards receiving, by the way, in that game. So don't tell me that dude going out against Bama wasn't a big deal. That was a gigantic deal. He had become a huge part of that offense, and that was a big loss for Ohio State. Um, So, yeah, I'm going with Ohio State running back Trey Sermon. So third time in a row. We got to go to the dice. Here we go. Hey I got one That's me the winner of the most exciting guy of the year Ohio State running back Trey sermon ds I'm sorry, man we got some the dice are they're leaning towards the eyes on big hosts here tonight. I, I kind of feel bad. We invite you on the podcast and we're just kind of sticking it to you here
2: That's all right I have a I have a feeling that if we're all different on this next one, I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, get the, get the positive roll because okay he knows it, this is the best one. Okay. Second to last is the most
0: surprising entity of the year. All right. So it could be a coach, player, team, news, tweet. Nah, don't do a tweet. That'd be stupid. Something crazy. Most surprising entity of the year. Big Kurt, who you got? Or what you got?
1: Okay. This one is really tough for me. I kind of went big view here, like 10,000 foot view. And I wanted to look at teams. Who is the most surprising team? Rutgers, of course comes to mind but I think for me if I'm if I'm purely looking at most surprising I'm going to go with the Maryland Terrapins the the team Maryland Terrapins and the head coach Mike Loxley going 2 and 3 and finishing technically 4th in the Big 10 East and looking not only competent but competitive especially that Penn State game the Penn State game just Jumps out at me. I that was the most surprising game of the year for me personally, and I want to go a little deeper. The offensive line play. I thought this offensive line was going to be a disaster when I looked at it preseason. I didn't know how they were going to block anybody. They were actually pretty competent, at times even good. Now, of course, Locks fired his offensive line coach just recently because Locks does Locks things. But the fact that Maryland won two out of five games, to me, is the most surprising thing that happened in the entire Big Ten season.
2: They won uh, 40% more games than I thought that they were going to win this season. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't think they'd win a Big Ten game this year. Uh, My entity of the year, okay, I'm going really big picture here. And I'm going with the reason we had a Big Ten football season. And I put the entity of the year as the state of Nebraska and I understand that Iowa had something to do with this. Ohio State had something to do with this. Bruce Harold at the the president at Iowa, um he fought you know Christina Johnson, the president at Ohio State. she fought to have a big ten season. Uh-huh. But as soon as the season was canceled, like that that meme of of Bernie Sanders sitting at the inauguration with his legs and arms crossed and folded and looking grumpy, like that was the entire state of Nebraska watching e s p n from like August 15th until September 15th, when we finally got Big Ten football season back or whenever it was. Like kudos to Scott Frost, to Bill Moose, Ted Carter, Ronnie Green, every fan out there for bitching and moaning and saying, hey, this isn't right. And when guys like Paul Feinbaum, Desmond Howard, uh, Mike Wilbon went after you and said, Kick their ass out of the big 10 or nebraska doesn't have that cachet it wasn't about how good nebraska is or whether nebraska belongs in the big 10 it's about hey we can do this safely our coaches our athletic directors our administration our entire state thinks we can do it and there were a lot of players in here there were a lot of player parents there were a lot of players that were involved in getting us a big 10 football season but nebraska kind of kick-started it they were the guys that first stood up and said hey we think we can do this uh, and i don't I don't know if 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 Scott Frost and Bill Moose don't come out and say, "Hey, we're gonna look to play somewhere else if you're not gonna let us play this season." Uh, I think that gave Ohio State and Iowa confidence to say, "You know what? We're gonna back their decision and we're gonna try to get this done." And eventually we did. There's all kinds of different great teams and coaches, but my entity of the year is is the state of Nebraska and everybody that played a role in in getting us a big ten football season when it looked like we weren't gonna have it.
0: Wow, you guys are all over the map and you're doing a great job i thought for sure at least one of you if not both of you would be with me uh because i had the indiana hoosiers as the most surprising entity of the year not just the wins okay because obviously that was that was huge but to a certain degree you could have seen that coming coming off the heels of last year where they were definitely an improved team and they had a lot of returning starters but Right at the beginning of the year, you know, the, the, the reach for the end zone pylon that will go down, that will be in the Indiana Hoosier football complex till the end of time to beat Penn State. They motor through the, the Big Ten Conference up to the point where they play Ohio State. Sure, Ohio State gets off to a big start, but they come back. They hung with Ohio State. Then they're compelling and surprising because they lose their quarterback. But then they still win games. They beat Wisconsin. They're also compelling and surprising because then they get shafted by the Big Ten and don't get to go to the Big Ten. Champion. Like, every time you turned around, the Hoosiers were in the news. Like, this was even national news was paying attention to the Hoosiers. So then they get, you know, screwed out of the uh, um, Big Ten championship or, I mean— just kind of basically it's it's how it went down, because I don't think they would have been able to play in that game anyways. And then we're like, well, what a great team. They're going to cap off the season by killing this old mess team in the bowl game. And they are a compelling, surprising story. Again, they don't put the Big Ten patches on their jerseys and they go out and they play like a big pile of dung versus the worst defense that I've ever seen in my entire life. Nothing Indiana did was normal this year. Everything they did was crazy from start to finish. I'm shocked that I'm the only one that wound up with Indiana. With that being said, you both had you both had great answers.
1: Well, can I add to that though, Greek? They play Ohio State. They get down 35 to 7, which we all expected. And then they come back and only lose on the difference of a Sean Wade pick six touchdown. Insane. Yeah. It's a good answer.
0: Yeah. All right. Here we are again. Uh, started off strong agreeing, finished off strong not agreeing with each other. So we go back to the dice again. We'll see if Dustin can get a win. Sorry, DS. It's me again. I, so for the most surprising, compelling entity of the year, it is the Indiana Hoosiers. Yes, I honestly I feel I feel bad at this point. I I thought about lying, but I just feel like if I put that out that karma out in the universe, just it comes back and gets me somehow.
2: Well, Indiana got screwed enough there towards the end of the season by the Big Ten and the College Football Playoff Committee, so they I'm okay with that one being uh being an Indiana Hoosier uh them them winning a category.
0: Maybe maybe next year the Hoosiers just just say hey Big Ten just throw some dice let's 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 just decide it like that. We feel better about that. All right, last one of the year – or last one of the podcast, excuse me. Game of the year in the Big Ten Conference, Bickert.
1: Okay, I think this one – I think it's pretty easy. I I came down to three, but I I did like the Maryland versus Minnesota game overtime. Maryland, 675 yards, 10.6 yards per play in the game for Maryland – also, Minnesota did great offensively. Tua runs it in to make it 45-38. Minnesota scores that touchdown. But then, the I don't know, eighth string kicker walk-on that they pulled out of chemistry class, misses the extra point, loses. I thought the Big Ten championship game was good. Uh, Northwestern making everybody's uh, sphincter pucker a little bit, up 10-6 at halftime and dominating that game. But I have to go with Indiana versus Penn State. The 35-28 to 28 win uh, for the Hoosiers, uh, Watt Fillier scores the touchdown, Penix with a two-point conversion, uh, to me, that was the game of the year. That The play of the year, probably, and the game of the year.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, because that game had everything, especially in like the last three or four minutes, where Penn State had it locked up, and then Devin Ford runs it into the end zone and gives Indiana a chance, and then Indiana... Is able to tie tie the game and nearly force overtime, and then their kicker comes out and in onside kicks it and <laughs> nearly cost him the game in regulation. And then, as you said, the play of the game with Michael Penix, um, maybe he was in for the two point conversion, maybe he wasn't. In, but uh, that was just such a that was such a great way to kick off the Big Ten season. It it was easily the most memorable game of the season for me.
1: And I'm sorry, I misspoke. I, I said 35. 36-35 was the final for IU, but it was 35-28 before they scored the touchdown and then went for the two-point conversion. So, okay, I'll be honest with you.
0: I I took kind of the side route here. Um, I was pretty confident that you guys would go with Indiana and uh, in the Penn State game, which it's the winner, and it, and it should be. With that being said – I think it's a one A and one B. Um, and, and by the way, big Kurt, bringing up the the Maryland Minnesota game, that was an awesome pull because what a fun Friday night that was! That was a blast watching that game. <clears throat> and it actually you bringing that up also reminded me of the Minnesota Purdue game that Friday night. You know, Friday flex were a blast this past fall. I, I know Minnesota fans were getting tired of them, but I thought they were a blast. With that being said. I, to me, Ohio State 49, Clemson 28. I know it wasn't a compelling game. I mean, Ohio State would have had to effectively fall asleep behind the wheel in the second half for Clemson to even get back in the game. But the the storylines going into that game. I mean, everybody was expecting Clemson to just walk all over Ohio State. That that line was around seven and a half. It went up at half to, or before the game. Because people just like, Clemson's going to just kill them. It's Trevor Lawrence. It's that Clemson defense rounded into form. That poor Ohio State team from the Big Ten, they just don't have a chance. They don't have a chance. And the Buckeyes steamrolled Dabo and, and did not look anything like the 11th ranked team. And for the Eyes on Big podcast, that was huge for the Big Ten conference. I think it got a lot of respect back. Other Big Ten teams look pretty good in the Bulls, too. I mean, it helps out a little bit. So, for me, that was the biggest game, the the game that I probably enjoyed watching the most, watching Dabo get his lunch force-fed right down his throat. That was fantastic. With that being said, we have a 2-1 to consensus for the winner. So, the game of the year is Indiana 36 Penn State 35 week one of the season that was a great great game well sadly guys that's it we're out of awards unless you guys have any any shoot from the hip awards that you want to go with right here Hmm. I don't know bourbon drinker of the year (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go I'm gonna have to go with Big Kurt on this one I think nice yeah that was a big
2: Dustin. Who you got? Bourbon drinker of the year? No, I got. I'll go with Big Kurt. I'll trust your judgment on that one since you're closer to it.
1: <laughs> I'm also going with Big Kurt. Unanimous. <laughs>
0: I I would probably bring home the red wine drinker of the year out of definitely out of the uh, podcast. Um, I I I certainly get into uh, the uh, bottle of bourbon as my wife can attest, but I'm not as I'm not as committed as my
1: podcast partner is. Wait, when, when I dedicate myself to do something, I do it right, man. <laughs> That's true. All right, I think we have been
0: talking long enough. So, Dustin, uh, the Saturday tradition,
2: anything you want to kind of add, plug plug away right now? Um, I, not so much as a plug, but I just want to say that for all the negative attention that the Big Ten and, and all the, you know, we can't play college football this season – If you appreciate not that kind of journalism and writing, we steered clear of that for most of the season. Um, We had a pretty strong belief that we could play. It was a strong belief that we should be playing football. Um, So I wanna throw that out there. Um, So visit our website. We're always covering Big 10 football, Big 10 basketball, Big 10 baseball. And I would be remiss to say that if anybody has any questions for me about getting into this profession, I think one thing that I learned doing this this year is that we don't have enough people covering the sport that love the sport. And doing this job is not easy. Um, Doing this job, I I started out working as an academic advisor. I was writing and I was calling high school football games. You know, A lot of times I would go to bed at 3 AM, wake up at 6, and do it all over again. So it's not easy. Um, But if you ever have any questions, if anybody wants to get into this field, start writing, start podcasting, doing what you want to do. Because what I learned is we have too many people that don't care about this sport don't love this sport um, and would probably rather write about something else. And that's just fine. But we need more people who love and, and and enjoy college football to be covering this sport. So if there's anything I can help with, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the connections, so I'm not going to get you a job. But um, any anything I can do to help, I'm happy to to assist in that regard. So I just wanted to mention that second time in this podcast where I feel
0: like now we're coming out at halftime. That's what I feel like. That that was like a halftime speech right now. DS, well, thank it. you so much for saying that. I honestly feel awful. Probably if I could speak for Kurt, he probably does too. We should have been the ones plugging you w- with, with that compliment. You were spot on. It's not bragging if you're talking, if you're, if you're telling the truth, that was straight up truth. And I'd like to thank you. And you know, most of the other writers at Saturday tradition, for being positive and straightforward and just putting out, you know, football articles, articles about football this fall,
2: fantastic. Uh, Thank you for that. And, And like I said, you know, my job is to write about college football for people who love college football. And that's what we wanted to do. You know, this was this was a tough time for just about everybody. Um, this was a tough year. So, you know, writing about football, talking about football—if it took your mind off off the real world for even five minutes, um, then we did our job. And and hopefully, we were able to get that across.
1: Yeah, I second what uh, Jeffrey the Greek said. Um, never saw a single article from Saturday Tradition that wasn't about football. It was it was
2: glorious. Thank you for that, Dustin. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you checking it out, and uh, hopefully, we can continue to do this, and we'll get a full thirteen game or twelve game schedule, thirteen games with bowl games next year.
0: Here, here. All right, I am Jeffrey the Greek, and I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you soon.